Well, good evening. Tonight is the second book in our Good News of the Bible series. Last week, Jake went through the book of Genesis, and today we'll be in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. We'll be jumping through a lot of scripture, talking through a lot of different passages. Um, but if you just open up generally to Exodus, uh, you can follow along as we, as we move our way through the book. Uh, when I was in college, uh, me and one of my best friends, Hayden, had this really good idea. We found a Bible reading plan that takes you through the whole Bible in 20 days. Uh, this has you reading roughly 50 chapters every day. And we made it through the book of Exodus, which was about two days. So if you've ever done a Bible reading plan, hopefully you've at least made it through the book of Exodus. <laughs> uh, and hopefully you've made it further than Hayden and I in our very overambitious plan to read through the whole Bible in 20 days. Um, so Exodus is the second book out of the 39 books of the Old Testament, but it's also the second book out of the five books of the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is the first five uh, books of the Bible, books of the Old Testament, written by Moses uh, to the people uh, of Israel as they are wandering in the desert. Um, so these books, the Pentateuch, tell of the origin of the people of Israel and the law of Moses. And Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off. And if you remember from, from Jake's sermon last week, Exodus ends with the narrative of the life of Joseph. And at the end of Joseph's life, he becomes second in command over all of Egypt, right? And, and there's this great famine that covers all of the land, and Joseph being second in command and having dreams and visions interpreted to Pharaoh uh, is able to steward um, the ration of food, and, and he's in charge of the ration of food for, for the whole world, the whole known world in that region. Uh, and so he brings his family to Egypt, uh, and they come, and that's where the book ends off with, with Joseph and his family, his family, of course, being the descendants of Jacob, uh, left off in Israel, or sorry, in Egypt, the people of Israel all come to, to Egypt. Uh, and, and Joseph provides for his family, and they settle there, and they begin to multiply. And this is where Exodus picks up. The, the people of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, are in Egypt, and they have begun to multiply. They are living there in Egypt, and they've begun to multiply. Um, now, we're going to cover a lot of Scripture, just like we did last week. Uh, Exodus covers about 40 chapters uh, and about 400 years. However, you jump about 320 of those years within the first chapter, so we, we'll move pretty fast. Um, but to look at this whole book, the book as a whole, we're going to look at it really in two main ways. So first, we're going to go through the, the narrative of the book of Exodus. So What's the story being told? What's happening? Uh, and then after we do that, we're actually going to go back, and then we're going to look at some major themes throughout the book of Exodus uh, to, to talk about as, as an overview and as a whole. So we'll look at the, the narration of Exodus in three main sections. So Exodus happens in, in three main sections. Some people view it in two sections, but we'll split it up in, in three. So the first section is, is Israel in Egypt. The second section is Israel in the desert. Now, some people lump these two together. They put Israel in Egypt and Israel in the desert all as one section. And then the final section is Israel at Mount Sinai. So 
We've got Israel in Egypt, Israel in the desert, and Israel in Mount Sinai. So those are the three main sections. Now the story, as I mentioned, leaves off with the descendants of Jacob in Egypt, and these are the people of Israel, and they begin rapidly multiplying. Exodus 1 tells us that the people of Israel have begun to multiply rapidly and grow into a great nation. It says that they filled the land with strength. If you look in Exodus 1, verse 7 and 8, it says that the people grew into a great nation that challenged even the power of Egypt. And for the period up until this point, Israel living in Egypt, they, they co-changes. Something changes at the beginning of the book of Exodus. And what changes is there's a new king who no longer knows Joseph or any of his descendants. Now remember, Joseph right, is the one who brought the people of Israel into Egypt, and he's second in command over Pharaoh. Well, now there's a new Pharaoh who no longer knows Joseph, no longer knows any of his descendants. Right? Years have passed. So that's the first thing that changes is there's a new Pharaoh. The second thing that changes is the Israelites, the number of Israelites has grown so much that the Pharaoh begins to fear them. He begins to fear that they've become even as powerful as the Egyptians. And so those two things kind of change the power dynamics between the Israelites and the nation of Egypt. And the next 13 chapters are really going to be a struggle of the power dynamics between Egypt and Israel. And we're going to see this this play out between Moses and Pharaoh um, uh, as, as the story progresses right? But Pharaoh becomes, becomes concerned with the, the growing number of Israelites. And so what he does is he sends out a decree and he says, the firstborn, or he says, the, any male Israelite born must be thrown into the Nile River. That's one way to stop population growth. He says, we're going to kill the firstborn of the nation of Israel. Or not the firstborn, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to kill any male of the nation of Israel. Any male born into the nation of Israel will be thrown into the Nile River. And he does this to try to stop their reproduction, to stop their power, to stop their growth. Uh, But there's a a lady, a Levite woman, and and a Levite man. They have a child, and she does not throw her child into the river, as many mothers probably can understand why. She instead hides her baby, and she hides it for three months. And it says, but at that point, she's no longer able to, to hide the child from Pharaoh. And so she she puts puts the child in a basket and sends the basket down to the Nile. And then by happenstance, somewhere down the road, or somewhere down the river, bathing is Pharaoh's daughter. And it's not by happenstance, it's by God's providence. And she, she finds the child, in the basket and raises it as her own and gives it a name. And she gives the child the name Moses. So Moses is actually an Egyptian name, not a Hebrew name, not an, not an Israelite name, but a, an Egyptian name. And Moses is going to be the central character kind of throughout the rest of the book, if not the rest of the, the Pentateuch, the next five books. He's also the one who wrote this book, right, as, as I mentioned earlier. And so, so Pharaoh... Pharaoh's daughter adopts 
Moses as her own. And so Moses actually grows up in Pharaoh's palace. So I think it's interesting and worth noting here that for the second time, now we have a Hebrew man, an Israelite man, living in the palace of Pharaoh. So we had Joseph, second in charge, second in command, working directly under Pharaoh, working and living in his palace. And now we have Moses growing up as, as the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter living in the palace, uh, in Pharaoh's palace. All right? and, and we don't really know how Moses finds out that he's a Hebrew or that, you know, when he finds out that he's an Israelite man, but the story just kind of says he goes and he is concerned for his people, referring to the Israelites. So clearly Moses, in some way, for some reason, learned or he knows that he is an Israelite. So Moses knows this, right? And he goes to check on his people. He goes to see how the Israelite people are doing one day, and he sees that the Egyptians uh, are, are dealing harshly, and he actually sees a, an Egyptian slave driver ruthlessly beating an Israelite man, right? So, so Moses intervenes on behalf of the Israelite man, and he kills the slave driver. And originally, he thinks that nobody saw this. He thinks he got away with it, but, but he, he hears, overhears two Two Israelites quarreling, and he, and he confronts them, and they say, well, you're just going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And he becomes very paranoid, worried that, that what he's done has been found out, and Pharaoh does find out. It says Pharaoh tries to kill him. And so Pharaoh tries to, to kill Moses, and Moses flees into the wilderness. So you see Moses now leaving Egypt, going into the wilderness, and while in the wilderness, God appears to Moses. And this is the first time you see God, the presence of God uh, in Exodus appearing to, to Moses. And God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And God reveals himself to Moses. If you have your Bibles, look there at Exodus 3, verse 7. And we're going to read all the way through, through verse 10. He says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way, I have seen the, way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so this God, in the form of this bush, this burning bush, uh, speaks to, to Moses and tells him, I am still faithful to my people. I see their suffering. I am not blind to their suffering. I am still faithful to my promise that I'm going to bring them into a land of Canaan, to a land flowing of milk and honey, and, and deliver them out of slavery. And God sends Moses. He sends them. He, he gives him the task to bring the people out of Egypt. So Moses comes out of the wilderness and goes back into Egypt to confront Pharaoh. And he meets with the, the Israelite leaders and he performs signs and wonders and tells them that he has a, been given a message from the Lord and he has been given a direction from, from God to lead the people out of Egypt. And Moses confronts Pharaoh on behalf of Israel but Pharaoh, in turn, only makes their labor harder. 
When Moses confronts Pharaoh, Pharaoh is hardened and Pharaoh makes the labor on the Israelites harder. And so this tension grows even stronger. And, and then the people of Israel actually begin to turn on Moses and turn on God. They said, you intervened on our behalf and things only got worse. And they begin to doubt even the miracles they just saw Moses performing. They're already doubting as their labor has gotten more difficult. But the story continues and God continues to promise Moses that he is faithful to seeing and doing what he has said. And he is faithful to delivering his people out of Egypt. And so God tells Moses to confront Pharaoh again and tells them to let the people of Israel go. And God tells Moses that I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And so God tells Moses that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened even despite the, the signs and wonders that God is doing in Egypt. And that Pharaoh will, will, will be judged by God's mighty hand and God will be faithful to his promise to deliver the Egyptians or deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. And so Moses goes with Aaron, his brother, another leader among the, the, the Israelite people, Moses and Aaron go now to confront Pharaoh again. But this time, they're to perform a sign and a miracle to Pharaoh to show the power of God. And so they take, Moses takes Aaron's staff and he throws it on the ground and the staff turns into a snake. And Pharaoh sees the signs and wonders and, and orders his uh, magicians and sorcerers there in Egypt to, to try to perform the same miracle and they throw their staffs on the ground. And their staffs turn into snakes. But the staff of Aaron, the staff that Moses threw on the ground to turn into a snake, eats up the other staffs and eats up the other snakes. And so you see this power conflict ongoing between the God of Israel and the magicians of Egypt. The God of Israel and the false gods there in Egypt. But Pharaoh's heart is still hardened, and he does not let the people go. His heart is still hardened, and even after seeing the signs, even after seeing God's, the power of the true God displayed before him, he still refuses to let the people go. And what happens next is kind of this famous ongoing battle and this conflict between God and Egypt known as the Ten Plagues. And over the next several chapters, God sends a series of ten plagues against the nation of Israel. It's interesting. Some scholars try to say that each plague represents a different god of Egypt. So you have you know, the, bl the blotting out of the sun, and, and Egypt's god, Ra, is the, the god of the sun. And then you have some Egyptian god that is in the shape of a frog, and you know, God sends the, the plague of the frogs. And they try to make an argument that each one relates to some other Egyptian god. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm not an Egyptian god expert. Um, but I do know this, that each of the plagues is a display of the true god's power against the false beliefs of Israel, or the false beliefs of Egypt. The true god's power, the, the god of Israel and his might and his power displayed against the gods and rulers of Egypt. 
And after each plague, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. But Pharaoh's heart is continually hardened. Time after time after time, this happens. And the final plague, God sends an angel of death to kill the firstborn male from every household. But Moses instructs the Israelite people to take a lamb. Each house is to get a lamb and to spread its blood over the doorpost and the doorway. And the angel of the Lord, when, he, when the angel of the Lord, the angel of death goes through Egypt, he will pass over each doorway, each household that has the blood of the lamb on it. And this is where we get the Jewish tradition of Passover comes from this event, this Passover event. And Moses gives outlines, these details of what the Jewish people uh, are to do, what the Israelites are to do, to spare themselves from the wrath, spare themselves from the judgment of God. But the angel of death comes and it, it wipes out the firstborn male for all of Egypt. And it passes over, God's mercy passes over the houses, the houses of Israel. And after, the final, after this final plague, Pharaoh lets the people of Israel go and they flee Egypt into the desert. But not only that, the Egyptians actually give the people of Israel silver and gold to take with them as they, as they go, as they flee. Now, if you remember that passage that, that Josh read at the beginning of, of service, you know, our call to worship is from Genesis, not Exodus. But even in Genesis, right, this is all part of the plan. God is fulfilling his promise to deliver the people. And it says that they will be sojourners in a... God told Abraham that his people would be sojourners in a foreign land and they would be oppressed. But God's judgment would be poured out over the nation that oppressed them. And that the descendants of Abraham would be sent out with more riches. And so you see this happen and you see God's faithfulness even through the time of slavery for the Israelites. Even through their oppression at the hand of Egypt, God is still faithful to his promise. This isn't some blip in which God's hand was removed from the people of Israel, but God is provident through this whole situation, through the whole story. And the Israelites are now leaving Egypt and traveling through the desert out of Egypt. And God, again, sends his presence there in the form of a pillar of cloud and the, and the pillar of fire. So we have a pillar of cloud leading the people there to follow the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is how they are led through the desert, how they are instructed on where they should go by following the, these pillars uh, of cloud by day and a pillar of cloud by night. And these pillars are a representation of the presence of God among the people, leading them by day and by night. And instead of taking the quickest route to Canaan and just cutting through the land of the Philistines, God actually takes them around into the Red Sea and away from the land of the Philistines because God tells Moses that if I take them through the land of the Philistines and they face war, they'll want to turn back and go back to Egypt. Now, when I read that, when you get to that point in the story, it's always like, I want to go back to Egypt? But we'll see that all throughout the rest of the narrative of things get hard and the people have this desire to return back to Egypt every time something gets hard. 
every time there's, there's conflict, every time there's, there's difficulties. And so, but God doesn't, doesn't lead them into war with the Philistines. He leads them instead to the Red Sea. But back in Egypt, Pharaoh's heart is hardened yet again. And he changes his mind towards the people of Israel. And he instead of just letting them go like he said he was going to do, he begins to pursue them. He begins to pursue them with his army. And the Egyptian army begins catching up with the people of Israel because the Egyptian army is full of horses and chariots and strong men. And the people of Israel begin again to question God and to question Moses. The people of Israel ask God and ask Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to send us out here to die in the desert at the hand of the Egyptians? Could we not have just been slaves in Egypt? God responds, look here, turn to, turn to chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. It says, and Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. God tells the people, Moses tells the people, be still. God will fight for you. Do not be afraid, but look up and have hope. Deliverance is coming from the Lord. The same Lord that promised to bring you out of Egypt is not going to see you die in the desert here at the hand of the Egyptians. And so Moses raises his staff, and many of us are probably familiar with this scene and this story, right? Moses raises his staff and splits the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across on dry land. And when every Israelite gets across, Moses lowers his staff and all of the horses and chariots of Egypt are swallowed up in the Red Sea. And the Israelite people get there, get across safely with Moses and they sing a song of praise. They rejoice to the Lord. Wish we had time to go through all of Exodus 15. It's called Moses' Song. Uh, if, if I can give you any homework, uh, it's to go home and, and read Moses' Song and spend some time praying through Moses' Song. And the people rejoice and they praise God that they have been brought out from the destruction at the hands of the Israelites and they have been delivered on dry ground through the Red Sea. And the Israelites travel through the desert, still being led by the Lord. But yet again, only just a couple chapters later, they were just singing and rejoicing in chapter 15. And not one chapter later, in chapter 16, they're already starting to question Moses and question God. You see a pattern here? The Israelite people questioning Moses, questioning God. They say, they ask Moses, was it better? Is it better here where we, should, where we should die of thirst and of hunger in the desert? We should just turn back to Egypt. You see, again, this pattern of the, the people of Israel questioning God and questioning Moses. And again, God, through Moses, 
providing deliverance for the people. So God provides water from a rock, right? The people are, are dying of thirst. Well, Moses strikes a rock and, and a water springs forth from there, right? And manna falls from heaven and the Israelites go and collect bread from, bread from heaven, and so each time you see the Israelites questioning God and questioning Moses, wanting to go back to Egypt, the Lord speaks, Moses acts, and the people are delivered. In the next chapter, the Israelites are attacked by the Amalekites in the desert. And they go to war, there's this battle between the Amalekites and the Israelites. And God speaks again. We'll see deliverance from God through the hands of Moses here in chapter 17 where, where God tells Moses, go and raise up your staff. And when he raises his staff, the people of Israel are able to overcome the Amalekites in battle. And when his staff falls, the Amalekites begin to gain momentum, right? And so Moses is there, and he actually has people holding up his arm as he holds up his staff through the entire battle. And the, and the people of Israel are able to be delivered from the Amalekites. And then after three months, after three months traveling in the desert, the people of Israel finally arrive at Mount Sinai. And that's our last section of the narrative. The last section of the narrative is the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is one of the most significant locations in the Bible. It's because it's the place that God gives Moses the law. This is going to take us from chapter 19 to the end of the book. We have a long section here of the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And so what happens is God calls Moses up to the mountain. God calls Moses to go up to the mountain. And that's some noise playing in my pocket. Sorry, guys. <laughs> God calls Moses up to the mountain. God calls Moses up to the mountain, and he speaks to him directly. And in chapter 20, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, we just did a whole series through the Ten Commandments. So I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time tonight, especially because we're, we're running short on time as it is. But God gives, God gives the Ten Commandments, right? And these are kind of these special laws for the people, right? But God also gives a whole set of other laws to the people, right? And I don't, there's about 15 chapters, 10 chapters, 12 chapters there listed of, of, God give, of God giving the law to Moses, right, for how the people of Israel should operate as a nation. Now, I don't have time to sit and talk about, there, it goes into how, what the priestly garments should look like, what, um, what their civil life should look like, and, I, and just in one night, I don't have time to go through the entire Mosaic law. But basic framework, Mosaic, the Mosaic law can be understood, in, really oversimplified, in three sections. We have God's moral law to the people, right, which is law that deals with morality, things like you shouldn't kill people, you shouldn't steal from, from your neighbor, right, laws that, that have to do with morality. And, and these are laws that more or less every civilized, every society has some form of, of law that look like these, 
right? There's not many societies, at least not that we would consider civilized, that say, yeah, you can steal. Stealing is totally okay. We're totally cool with that. You can come into my house at all hours of the night and, and steal. Or you can murder. There's pretty much no societies that would say, yeah, murder's totally cool. Uh, so there's this idea of morality, right? And so the law, uh, the, God's moral law. And then we see God's civil law, which is how the people should act as a nation, right? How, how the nation of Israel should, should go about, um, should carry out civil life. And, and then the last aspect of, of the Mosaic law is God's sacrificial law, which has to do um, with how they're to carry out sacrifices um, and how they are to... Um, uh, worship and, and orders and directions of, of, of their worship and of their sacrifices, uh, such as what they can and can't sacrifice, what they can and can't eat, uh, and all, all the laws therein, right? So Moses is up on the, the mountain, and he's receiving uh, this law from God for, for the people of Israel, how they should live as a nation. And meanwhile, the people of Israel are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they see that, wow, we thought, we thought Moses was, was coming back a little faster than he is. He's been up there a long time. And, you know, the people of Israel, well, they're real prone to start questioning God and start questioning Moses and start questioning Moses' leadership. And so people of Israel go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we've, we've given up on Moses we need you to build us a calf, build us a God that we can worship. And so Aaron takes the jewelry. This is in chapter 32. Aaron takes the jewelry from, and all the gold from, the, from the, the people, and he melts it down and builds them a calf that they should worship. Now, when Moses comes down from the mountain and he hears this dancing and singing, he wonders, he thinks it's the sound of war. He goes in and he sees the people have begun worshiping this calf. And Moses becomes enraged. He breaks the tablets that he's given. He, grind, he actually grinds up, melts down, and grinds up the golden calf and makes the people of Israel who are worshiping the calf, he makes them drink the ground up golden calf. Right? So Moses is pretty extreme about this, he's pretty upset. But then what Moses does is he actually goes to God and intercedes on behalf of the people. He pleads with God to have mercy. But God still sins. There still needs to be judgment. And God sends a plague over the people of Israel. And as this plague comes and, and um, like the sickness over the people of Israel. And then the narrative ends these last eight chapters with the building of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is sort of like a portable tent temple, right? And it is the physical representation of the dwelling place of God. Actually, the word tabernacle comes from the Hebrew word to dwell. And this is the dwelling place of God. This is the place where, where God dwells. And so these next eight chapters, the final eight chapters, uh, or final seven chapters, rather, uh, of the um, book of Exodus talk about the building of the tabernacle 
And God has instructed Moses on exactly how it should be built, down to what kind of wood should be used, what should be the dimensions of the tabernacle, right? Very specific stuff. The tabernacle is basically the dwelling place of God. And so the book ends as the people are, have, are built the tabernacle for God to dwell in as they, as they live in the desert. So now in these final few minutes, I want to talk about four themes through the book of Exodus. Four themes that we see run throughout the whole book. So the first theme is God's deliverance of his people. God delivering his people. And you see this time and time again. First starting in the actual, the event, the Exodus, right? That's where the book name comes from, Exodus, the Exodus out of Israel, or out of Egypt, of the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so God delivers his people out of Egypt. We see his deliverance there. Even when it seemed impossible, even when it seemed improbable, even when the people doubted, even when Moses doubted, you see God being faithful and delivering his people. You see him deliver his people from hunger and thirst in the desert, right? Because God isn't just going to send his people out into the desert and let them die there, but he is a rather an ongoing deliverer who is going to then provide for his people, right? And so he provides in the form of manna from heaven and the form of water springing forth from the rock, right? And then God delivers the people of Israel from the Amalekites, you see God um, through Moses. Moses, remember, Moses raises his arm. And, and, and when he does that, when he holds up his staff, the Israelites win the battle. So you see God delivering his people. And the second theme you see is God's supremacy over the nations. God's supremacy over the nations. What that means is God is the God of every nation. The God of Israel is the God of every nation. In chapter 5 of Exodus, Pharaoh, when Moses, the first time Moses confronts Pharaoh, Moses comes and says, the God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds by saying, who is the God of Israel that I should obey him? Well, we see how that turns out for Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh, who thought he had no reason to obey the God of Israel, we see him crushed at the hand of the God of Israel. We see his heart continually hardened so God could display his glory through Pharaoh's judgment. In fact, God tells Pharaoh, I've raised you up for this very purpose. The reason that I have raised you up, put you in power for this very purpose, that my glory might be seen in my wrath and destruction to you. You see God's supremacy over the nations when the magicians of, of Egypt try to mimic the miracles of Moses and Aaron. They throw their staffs on the ground to turn into snakes, just like Moses had done. But Moses' staff eats the staffs of the people of the Egyptian magicians. And then you see God's supremacy over the nations in delivering his people out of Egypt and crushing the people of Egypt in the Red Sea. 
God's power being displayed through the judgment of the Egyptians. God's power and supremacy is displayed again in chapter 17 when um, the Israelites are at war with the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are crushed at the hand of Israel because, not because of their power, not because they are some military force and might, but because the miracle from God telling Moses to hold up your staff and I will fight on your behalf. And so you see God is supreme over all the nations. The third theme you see is Moses as an intermediary or intermediator for the people of Israel. So Moses acts on behalf of the people and on behalf of the God. He is like the spokesperson through, he's the, the spokesperson uh, for God to the people, right? And he's also the spokesperson of the people to, to Pharaoh. So you see that as a theme, as Moses, uh, as a mediator, right? Moses um, goes on behalf of on behalf of God and confronts Pharaoh, right? On behalf of God and on behalf of his people. Moses is a mediator again in chapter 17 with the Amalekites when he, when he raises up his staff. God uses Moses in that way. He's a mediator in providing for the people of Israel. He's the one who strikes the rock and, and the water flows from. Moses is a mediator Again, when the people sin against God and build this golden calf, and he goes and he pleads uh, on their behalf. And then the final theme I think we see is the presence of God. There's a theme running through Exodus of the presence of God. So first you see the presence of God in the burning bush, right? That's a, that is a representation of God dwelling there in that bush and speaking to Moses, then you see the pillars of fire and the pillars of cloud that lead the people, right? Those are representations of, of God's presence, the presence of God. And then we see, um, finally, the tabernacle, right? The place where God dwells, the dwelling place of God. Um, and, and that is uh, where, where the presence of God will be among the people and there in the, in the tabernacle and there in the, um, in the tabernacle that he's instructed them to build. So those are the four themes of Exodus. Now, what's the good news of Exodus? Because the sermon series is not what is the book of Exodus. The sermon series is the good news of the Bible. So what is the good news of Exodus? Well, the good news of Exodus is we have a deliverer. We have a deliverer and the promise of deliverance, right? Those of us who are, in, those of us who are not believers, the Bible says you are enslaved to your sin. Sometimes we really feel that slavery and sometimes we're blind to it. Because of what I do for work, I get to work with a lot of people who are really, really aware of the slavery and bondage to sin that they are in. Those who don't know, I, I work with, with men in addiction, right? That is a physical slavery as a result of sin. There's other forms of that too, but the Bible says that all sin is slavery. But we have a deliverer who delivers us from sin, who delivers us from bondage, Romans 8 says, from bondage to corruption. 
we were in bondage to corruption, but now we have been delivered through Christ. So we have a deliverer and a God who is a deliverer. The second is, just as Moses was a mediator on behalf of the people of Israel, well, we have a mediator between man and God. And 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and there is one mediator between man and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And just as Moses pled on behalf of the people of Israel to God, we have one who pleads on our behalf, and that's Jesus Christ. For those of us who believe, those of us who follow Christ, we have a mediator in Jesus Christ who pleads on our behalf, has delivered us from sin, and mediates to the Father for us. And the last part of good news, the good news that I think we can draw from the book of Exodus is sometimes we're believers who feel like we're wandering in the desert, who feel like we're the Israelites who constantly are maybe too prone to wander, where we live in this world full of sin. We've been delivered, but we still see sin all around us. We still face temptation. We still face the struggles of, of daily life and of life living in a sinful and a fallen world. And much like the Israelites, our life today is spent predominantly living in that desert, right? We have been, if you have been delivered out of sin, but we have not yet been delivered into the promised land. And so we live in a sinful and a fallen world. And so our solution is to, just as, as, as God through Moses told the people of Israel, do not fear, look up, have faith, know that I am God. All you need to do is be still. And we need to be still and trust and know that God is God. And we have a deliverer who is fighting on our behalf. We have a mediator who is pleading for us. And we have a God who is a God who is faithful to his promise. There's not a single event that happened in Egypt. There's not a single event that happened in the desert that went against God's faithfulness and went against God's promise to Abraham and to the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And this promise that we saw all through the book of Genesis, we see begin to play out in the book of Exodus. And it doesn't go exactly as the people planned. People in slavery for 400 years, wandering through the desert, and yet God is still faithful and God is still true to his promise. And so the good news of Exodus is that we have a deliverer we have a mediator, and we have a God who is faithful to completing what he has started. And the God who has started a good work in you will see it through to completion. The God who has delivered us out of sin will continue being our deliverer, continue being our mediator, continue being faithful to us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you uh, for your word and for um, this sermon series to, to become better acquainted with the, the, the story and the narrative of, of your redemptive history and the story of the Bible. God, we thank you that you are uh, a deliverer. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises, God. And we thank you uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, who serves as our mediator. 
how we pray all these things in your name. Amen.